Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best of use of, of the time. Uh, let always your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, we come into your presence today and we want to uh, delight ourselves in you. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you, uh, Lord Jesus, that you are in heaven uh, as our high priest, making intercession for us, that as our prayers and our, our worship goes up to you, uh, we can know that it is being heard. One, because the Holy Spirit is in us taking it up. Two, because uh, the Lord Jesus, you are there uh, showing your hands that you have died for us and claiming us as your own, bringing our prayers before the throne of grace. And Father, we are assured of, of your great love for us. We just thank you uh, for this love. We ask that you would uh, be at work through the ministry of your word this morning. Uh, that you would come and, and dwell in our hearts and speak to us uh, through the power of the preaching of the word. Uh, Lord, may it not be my words, but may you give me uh, the things to say that are from your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk this morning uh, about prayer and being steadfast in prayer. And uh, when I was a young boy, maybe about uh, 11 uh, or so, maybe 12 uh, I remember an incident where we were uh, running around uh, in the woods and running uh, through the family garden, uh, as boys are, are often do when they play their game. We used to play army, and uh, we'd run around, and we'd have our treasure, and, and we'd hide things. And I remember one particular instance. I was with a, a couple friends, and actually one of the guys was a friend of my brother's, and uh, he had borrowed a little ruby red jewel from his brother. It was just a little plastic trinket. Uh, it, was, it was literally worthless. We could have probably got one for, for a quarter. And I remember we were running through the garden, and all of a sudden, my, friend, my brother's friend realizes this prized possession that he had borrowed from his brother was missing. And we had been running everywhere through the woods. And we said, there is no, I said to myself, there is no way we are going to find a, a quarter size red piece of plastic in the middle of dirt, in the middle of a garden, in the middle of leaves and woods and, and wherever we had been running. Forget about even being able to re retrace all of our steps. And my, my brother's friend we began to look a little bit, and we, this, we said, this, this isn't going to work. And my brother's friend said, why don't we pray that we find it? And I remember thinking to myself, okay, yes, that's fine. Yes, we all know that we should pray. He was, he was a pastor's kid, so okay. And I remember thinking to myself something along the lines of, that's nice. I know we can bring everything before God, but there's no way he's going to answer this prayer. This is just so little. This is so insignificant. And we prayed. We gathered around in a little circle and we said a little prayer that God would help us find it. And we began to look. 
And, and I tell you, we looked down and it was literally right there. Uh, I felt like we must have looked over that spot a hundred different times and not seen it. We didn't even have to retrace all of our steps and it was, it was right there. And it has been a reminder to me over the years that no matter what the prayer is, even those things that we think maybe God is too busy to hear, God delights in us bringing our prayers before Him and we should be steadfast in our prayers because God hears our prayers. Our main point this morning is simply this. Be steadfast in prayer, especially for open doors to share the gospel. So there's, there's, there's a movement in this passage where Paul is reminding us to be steadfast in our prayers. In, in all of our prayers, really, we should be steadfast. But then he moves and he focuses on praying specifically for an open door. And then he invites us and asks us and encourages us to be gracious and be ready in our own lives to talk to people. And this flows, I think, out of Paul's desire to spread the gospel, which led him to pray regularly for the lost and pray regularly for the local church. And so steadfastness in our prayers should cover all areas of our prayer lives, but particularly our prayer for the work of God's word in the gospel. So first, moving along into this sort of movement that the passage takes us to, first, be steadfast in prayer. In your personal prayer life, be steadfast and do not give up. It is so easy in our daily lives to pray for something and and after a while just say, you know what, I'm, I'm not hearing, I'm not getting an answer. It doesn't seem like the Lord's responding. I will give up. But we need to be steadfast. Be regular and and watchful even in your prayers. Look at the beginning of verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. And then Paul says, of course, with thanksgiving. We'll talk about that part in a minute. But let me ask this question to you. How is your prayer life. What does it look like? Could you say that you have a, a regular habit of, of prayer time before the Lord? Is it maybe daily? Maybe, maybe it's every other day. But it's something that is regular and consistent. How is your prayer life? So first, being steadfast in prayer means being regular and making it a habit. Colossians 1.9, Paul says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, Paul doesn't mean that he was literally praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But he means we have not ceased in the sense that we have kept at it regularly. I don't think Paul was praying while he was sleeping. You can't physically pray 24 hours a day. But you can make it a regular habit. You can have a list of people that you regularly, habitually bring before the Lord. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1.17, writing to a different church, to this end we always pray for you. That churches where Paul had been, like Thessalonica, he was praying for people, people that he knew, places that he had not been, 
like Colossae, the, where the Colossians lived. He heard about them. And he said, you know what? I'm adding them to my prayer list. He prayed regularly, making it a habit. Second, being steadfast in prayer means that you and I do not give up on prayer. Um, it can be easy in our lives to, to view prayer as, as a magic key, sort of like a, a soda machine. If I, if I put my quarter in, if I push the right button, I will get the response that I asked for. I will get the soda that I wanted. And sometimes we view prayer like this. I, this is me just putting my quarter in and God will give me exactly what I want. And then when we pray and we don't get exactly what we want, we get discouraged and we say, well, prayer doesn't work. I'm going to give up on prayer. There's sort of a name it, claim it approach to prayer. It can be driven by, by what we call the prosperity gospel. That if you just say the words, you'll get exactly what you want. You want a new car? Just, just pray for it, say it, say in Jesus' name, and you will have it. And then we're told when you don't have it, well, brother, sister, that's because you didn't have enough faith. And there are charlatans that go out there proclaiming this as their message, and that's how they, they teach prayer. We need to be real careful. One, God does delight in giving good gifts to his children. And he does in his word promise that we, if we pray for things in his name, according to his will, we will have them. So we never want to think that God doesn't hear our prayers. We never want to think of God as being mean and nasty as he withholds things from us when we ask for them. He gives good gifts to his children, just as, as you, many of you, delight in and giving gifts on Christmas or birthdays to your children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews. And you, you just you have this gift and you know they want it and their eyes light up. God gets that same delight in giving good gifts to his children. But in James chapter 4, verse 3, he warns us. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your pleasures. There can be a type of prayer that can be sinful on our part. A, a wrong view of prayer that says, I can just have whatever I want. Prayer is about coming before the Lord. It's also about submitting ourselves before Him and, and aligning our will so that we pray in accordance with what He would have. Even as Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane, on the one hand, knowing He needs to die for us, on the other hand, not exactly looking forward to the pain and the suffering. Saying, take this from me, not my will, but your will, Father. And that is an example to us and how we need to pray. Prayer and being steadfast in prayer can be particularly difficult in our culture. We live in a day and age where we are so consumer-driven. If I want something right away, I just go down to the store and get it. I don't have to wait. If, if I need the new and latest iPhone, people will go to the store and they will wait two days in line to pick it up and they will get it in their hands immediately. Uh, I like shopping and ordering books on, on Amazon.com and I can get a book here in two days. 
And if I don't get it in two days, if it, if it gets delayed in the mail and it's there, the th- I'm, I'm starting to like, what happened? Where is it? I'm checking online. Where, where's the package tracker telling me it is? And, and if it's four or five days, my goodness, it can be the end of the world. I ordered that book with two-day shipping. How hard is it when you think about that and apply it to the, our prayer lives to be steadfast in prayer? We want it now. We want it immediately. And we, we sort of treat it like, you know how when, you're, when your kids come in and they're, they're asking for candy and they just got to have it now? If you don't give it to me now, I, then it's not what I want? Is our prayer life like that? Or do we have a, a steadfast and patient view of bringing things before the Lord? A really good example of a faithful man of prayer is the man named George Mueller. Some of you might know that name. He lived from 1805 to 1898. He was an evangelist, a pastor. He also did amazing work starting an orphanage. And they would literally at times in this orphanage not have food for the day on the table. And they would pray. And within an hour of when they needed it for the meal, someone would donate the finances or someone would bring the food. And he, in, in his life, has, he's got a couple books where he has documented thousands of prayers that were answered. And yet one of the stories impresses me the most when you think of steadfastness in prayer. He writes this in his diary in November of 1844. He says, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on land, on sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed for the others. Five years elapsed and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. And six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years later in his journal, he writes, The man to whom God in the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the selfsame hour or day in which they were offered has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals and yet they remained unconverted. But I hope in God. I pray on and look yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. Countless prayers that had been answered and he is still praying for these men, these two. How many of us would give up after the first 18 months and say only one was saved? Well, that's not a bad score. How many of us would look at all the other answered prayers and say, you know what? Maybe God just doesn't want to answer these two prayers. I've had so many victories in prayer. I think I can set these other two prayer requests aside. 54 years later, 
after George Mueller died, the two men that he had prayed for became saved. That is steadfastness in prayer. I know I'm not that steadfast in my prayer life. But that is what God calls us to. And when we live in such a day and age where where everything is give it to me now, we have to fight that and say, I need to bring my prayers before God because He is a wonderful prayer hearing God. And I need to not be discouraged when, when I don't see the results that I wanted. Maybe some of you are praying for the salvation of a loved one, a friend. Praying for someone to come back to the Lord or come back to church. Do not give up in your prayers. Do not say, I've been praying for four or five years and and nothing is happening. Is God even hearing? God hears your prayers. And He delights in us praying steadfastly. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints. We are to be watchful in our prayer life. What's so interesting is is this is the same word that that Jesus uses with the disciples when when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember how He takes them along and He he sets them down to pray and He goes off a little bit, but He says, watch and pray. Some translations in a couple places will even say in other places where this word is used, stay awake. We're to stay watchful in our prayer lives. Pay attention to what is going on around you so that you can pray for it. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. We are to be watchful in our prayer life. Scripture tells us to be watchful for the day of the Lord's return, that we know it is coming. Be watchful in that same manner for the things that you pray for. Do you look around and, and see what people need and pray for it with knowledge? You hear someone share a prayer request and does that, does that click in your mind to say, I need to add that and pray for that regularly? You hear someone going through a hard time and maybe they're not even asking you for prayer, but do you say to them then, you know, I'll pray for you and do you mean it and keep it? Be watchful. We are to be praying steadfastly either until we go to be with Jesus or Jesus comes to be with us. Be thankful also in your prayers. Look at the end of verse 2. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything be prayerful and with supplication. Yeah. But in everything, by prayerful and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So we bring our requests before the Lord in prayer, but do we do it with an attitude of give me, give me, give me, or with a gracious spirit of thanksgiving saying, Lord, you are so wonderful, you are so grateful, I am thank you for all that you have done, You do not have to give me anything, but I bring this request to you because you are a good God. 
And I'm thankful for all that you have given me. But I would ask that you would hear this request now. It is so easy to come before God in our prayer life with a spirit and an attitude of God owes me one. I have heard Christians say or heard of Christians who have have complained before God because He has not answered a prayer request. I don't know why I pray anyways. We need to come with a spirit of thanksgiving. The breath that you have to utter that prayer request is a gift from God. The communion you have with Jesus to walk into the throne of grace is a gift from God. The forgiveness of sins that we have is a gift from God. God wants us to bring our requests. But how often do you and I, and I include myself in this, come into His presence with a selfishness, with an attitude, with a putting God to the test of, I will see if you are real because you need to bring this for me. Everything that I have is from God's grace. And so everything that I need to ask for needs to come with a spirit of thanksgiving. You have given me so much. Who am I to come before you and ask for more? And yet you give me that privilege. And you delight in calling me your child and giving good gifts to your children. Do you pray regularly? I confess that in my life, most times it has been much easier for me to read Scripture and study and put my mind to work and dig into what it says than it has been to have prayer as a part of my quiet time. Several years ago, God really taught me some things in this respect. And He put me in a difficult situation where prayer became much easier because in many respects I felt like prayer was all I had. But I'll tell you, when you come with thanksgiving, it is so much easier to pray because you're reminded of all the good things He has given you. And even in that hardship, He has given you so much already. It changes your attitude. May our attitudes change in our prayer life. Second, this morning, and again, we're moving in this progression of the passage. We want to focus on specifically pray for evangelistic opportunities. Paul prays for open doors of opportunities, and so should we. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul has always been, since I was a young man, a, just one of my favorite Bible characters, a hero 
Uh, of the Old Testament, I think I'd pick David as my favorite. But of the New Testament, I'd probably pick Paul. Paul is, to me, the, the super missionary, the super pastor, the, the super theologian. All the things that I love, I find in Paul. And it amazes me that even Paul has to pray for an open door. I mean, this is a man who would preach before crowds and, and quite literally, I'm sure, thousands would be converted at times. Churches were planted. The whole uh, of the large parts of the New Testament are because God used the hands of Paul. We would quite literally not be here today as a church in the Western world if Paul had not gone to the Roman Empire. And yet, Paul has to pray for an open door. How much more those of us who are sitting here and saying, I'm just not an evangelist. I don't know what I would say, who I could talk to. I am fearful. How much more do you and I need to pray for an open door to share the gospel? In Acts chapter 14, after Paul on his missionary journeys returns to the city of Antioch, he shares this. It says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how He, God, had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So there was activity on the part of the missionaries. They went out. There was opportunity. They found places and people to talk to and share. And there was a response. But God is the one who made these things possible. God is the one who opened doors. God is the one who put Paul in that Philippian jail and caused him to meet the the Philippian jailer who in turn heard the Gospel and his heart was open. God opens doors and we need to pray for it. We need to pray as a church that God would open a door for us to share the Gospel all around us. That God would open a door for us to get and meet some people in this development. That God would open a door to, to have people get saved in the apartments that are three blocks away or across the street, or down in the city. We need to pray for an open door. We want to see the church grow. But our prayer request should not be for numbers to pack the pews. Our prayer request should be that God would open a door for the Gospel. That we would be faithful in spreading the Word of God like a seed. And God would be faithful in building His church because He opened a door. It's interesting to me that sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, we assume that an open door means everything will be smooth sailing. That everything will just be this great and wonderful. When God opens a door, it's just, you know, like, ah. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. But I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And you want to stop there, but this is how the verse ends. And, and 
there are many adversaries. Think about that. I would look at an open door and say, it was smooth sailing. It was wonderful. It was easy. We went right in. We walked right through it. Paul says the door was open. And and you almost get a sense of he's pleased about this. And there were adversaries. How did I know the door was open? The enemy was fighting us. This was where the battle line had been drawn, that God had opened a door. And we had adversaries to the gospel. But God worked in Ephesus. An open door might mean you're still a little bit fearful to talk to someone. An open door might mean that someone is resentful of what you have to say. But it means that you got an opportunity that God provided for you to say it. In church history, oftentimes, open doors were the doors that were hardest to walk through. Because God made an opportunity and the people had to trust Him. Many of you, I'm sure, know the name Jim Elliott. He was one of the missionaries who was killed going to the, the Aka Indians. Actually, the, that's the local name for the Indians. The, the, the tribal name is the Hurani. I think that's how you say it. Huron, something like that. I have it written down if you want to see how it's spelled. Jim Elliott and four of his friends were martyred when they landed their plane on a riverbank to try to bring the gospel to these people. And you might look at that and say, well, clearly God had closed the door. They made a great sacrifice. They made a great effort. But but it would be so tempting to look and say, some missionaries were killed. Let's move on to the next tribe. Elizabeth Elliot and one of the older sisters of the martyr, Nate Saint, her name was Rachel Saint, had an opportunity and they took it to go to that village a few years later. They went in there and God opened a door through the death of those missionaries. Nate's saint's son, Steve Saint, was a child at this time and he was baptized by a man named Minkai, I think is how you say his name, who had become a pastor. Minkai was one of the men who had killed the martyrs. God opened a door. And we would look at that in in every human perspective and say, clearly that door was closed because men died to take the gospel there. They didn't want the gospel. There were adversaries. And the gospel went into that tribe. And people got saved. Rachel Saint, again, the older sister of one of the martyrs, lived there her entire life, except for about five years, until she died there in 1994 at the age of 80. God opened the door, and there were many adversaries. Pray then that God would open doors for us 
that there would be opportunities, that we would have the courage to take them and and see that sometimes adversaries or discouragement is the very sign that the door is open. Paul even prays that he would have the ability to make it clear. Look at verse 4, that I may make it clear, the gospel mystery of Christ, which is how I ought to speak. So, so Paul, again, this, this man who through the power of the Holy Spirit writes the Word of God, the, the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, all of these New Testament books that we read and we are just amazed because there's a richness of doctrine. And Paul says, pray that I would have the words to say to make this clear. Have you ever felt like you didn't know what to say to people? I'm not a good public speaker. I'm not good at talking to people. I tell you, if Paul could and did pray that the words would be clear, and, and he didn't just pray this as a private prayer. I mean, he is telling a whole church, pray for me. And you might be tempted, to, you know, if you're in that church, to think, well, maybe Paul isn't that great of a missionary, but I, I need to pray for him. Pray that I'd have the words. You see, the gospel is a mystery in that it is the plan of God from before the foundations of the world that God revealed through the prophets. And then when Jesus came and died on the cross, God made it clear. He showed us this wonderful mystery that God had in his heart and mind before the foundations of the world. Paul says in Romans, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to the nation according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. This gospel is a mystery, but we don't use mysterious words to communicate it. We are speaking, in, at least in our language, in plain English. The gospel is a mystery, but the words that we use, we are not speaking gibberish. We are not speaking some mysterious code. We need to pray that, that we would be clear when we speak. That if things are going to turn people off from the gospel or upset them, it would not be because I'm having trouble making it clear. Rather, it would be because they are clearly seeing what it is and their heart doesn't want to take it in. That, That my words as the human speaker wouldn't be offensive even if the content of what I'm saying is offensive and bothersome to the people. Pray for opportunities to share. Pray for open doors. Pray that you might have clear words. And then lastly this morning, third, be ready. Pray for this, but then be ready to speak wisely in all opportunities. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Ephesians 5.15, Paul says similarly, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So we are to walk in wisdom with outsiders. 
think part of this means how do we spend our time? Is it in all kinds of frivolous pursuits? Who do we hang out with? Do we, are we careful to avoid walking in ways that are evil? Psalm 1.1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And yet, it doesn't mean that we should hide ourselves away. We should be like missionaries going out into our neighborhoods to people around us. And, and what do missionaries do? They, they spend time with unbelievers in the hopes that they can build a relationship. Not for frivolous pursuits, but for the sake of saying, I want to get to know you. I want to be your friend. I want to share this wonderful message with you. Use your time in such ways that it can lead to evangelistic opportunities. Maybe you have a hobby already that you love doing. And it's a great way to meet people. And you have some friends that don't go to a church or that have drifted away from church. It's an opportunity and pray that God would open a door and then that you would be wise in making use of this time and saying what you can as you have opportunities. Jesus tells the parable of the um, unjust uh, or the shrewd steward. The man who, who knew he was going to get fired from his job. And so he says in effect, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, he says in effect, I know I'm going to lose my job with this worker, but I'm in charge of the, the debts that, that other clients own, owe to my place of employment. And if I cut their bills and is nice to them, I'll be able to go out and get another job with them. It's essentially what he does. He, he says, um, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he says to the first, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill uh, and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. And then he says, take your bill and write uh, 80. And then it says, the master commended the dishonest master manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generations than the sons of light. And this is what Jesus is teaching. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may receive, uh, that you may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, Jesus is not saying cheat people. Jesus is not saying go out and make unrighteous wealth. But he is saying we live in, in just a sinful world and, and we have, you know, money is a, a necessity in our day and age, but it's sort of a, a painful necessity. You can be driven by money. and We're not supposed to go after the love of money. But you can use that money, that gift, that talent you have, that hobby you have to make friends with unbelievers, to be shrewd in that sense, not manipulative, not uh, backhanded or dishonest, but to actually make connections with unbelievers so that we might have an, not only an internal inheritance for us, 
but they might have eternal inheritances. The parable of the shrewd manager isn't teaching us about business practices. It's teaching us that when God gives us something, when he puts it under our stewardship, we should use it to make friends with the world for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you have a couple hundred dollars that you were going to blow on your vacation and there'd be nothing wrong with using it that way because you've saved for it. It's your money. You're being faithful with what God has given you. But maybe you say to yourself, you know what? Instead of spending that money on myself, what if I spend it by throwing a barbecue for my neighbors? And I need to get to know a couple of them. And there's a few that I could invite to church, but first I've got to get to know them, and, and they need to see that I love them. And so instead of just spending that $300 on, on something that's not necessarily wrong, you become the, the shrewd manager and you say, I'm going to spend it on some unbelievers. You're not bribing them, right? You're not trying to just cheat them. You're not saying, here's $100 if you come to church this week. Or, you know, we're not being dishonest. But we're trying to build relationships. Each one of us is a missionary. And then Paul says in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. A couple thoughts when this passage uh, comes to mind. Jesus says, But I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And then he goes on and he says, if you get before the people in this hour, do not worry about what you will say because the Holy Spirit will give you words. If you have someone you need to share the gospel with, pray for an open door and do not worry about what you will say. Be willing to say something, but know that as you start those conversations, the Lord will bring to mind what you need to say. Maybe even you just say to someone, I don't know what to tell you. They ask you a really hard question. I don't know what to say. But I love you. And I know that God has the answers in his word. You'll remember maybe the children's song. A spoonful of, medicine, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You know, the Mary Poppins, just a spoonful of sugar our speech should be seasoned with salt. In the ancient world, salt preserved meat. You had something tough that you couldn't eat real well. You packed it in salt. It would stay fresh. Our speech should be that way. We're not sugar-coating the Word of God. We're telling the truth. But our speech should be gracious and kind and compassionate so that the hard truths can go down. Because we were tender and gracious. I've been seeing some things in politics this week that are so frustrating. And I could name names and I won't. I I had one person in mind in particular uh, for this example. And then like I found three more this week. But there are some times in in politics. And sometimes it, it really bugs me when it's the people that I agree with. Who will just, they have no filter and, and when they say something, they, they intentionally are provocative. It's like dropping a grenade in the room. And they might be speaking to something that I agree with. They might take the position I hold to, but they just want to shake up the room and make people angry. That is not the way we share the gospel. 
We are not to just go in there and drop this gospel grenade and be like, I'm just going to tell it to you and make you angry. We need to tell the truth, right? I'm not saying back away from the truth. Absolutely not. And sometimes people aren't going to like the truth and it will shake them. But you want people to be offended at the truth and not offended at something you said out of your own conviction. I have seen people who were evangelists and they got a certain delight in making adversaries in their evangelism. The gospel will make adversaries as you share it. Don't be the one that's trying to stir the pot just so you can pat yourself on the back. I, I trust you understand what I'm saying. I don't want to embarrass someone by like naming names. But there are a lot of also good evangelists that are very, they just come right to you and they state the truth plainly. And we need to do that too. But pray that we would have graciousness in our own hearts and lives. So again, there's a movement in this passage. Be steadfast in your prayers. Be steadfast in praying for the lost and open doors. And then be ready when God opens those doors. Let me give you four kind of statements of challenge. One, commit yourself to watchful prayer. Will you increase your prayer time this week? Maybe some of you just need to make sure you pray every day. Maybe some of us are good at praying every day, but, but we're kind of unfocused or we need to spend a little more time. Wherever you are in your prayer life, commit yourself to steadfastness and habits. Second, every day this week as you pray, would you add something to your list that you are thankful for? I once challenged some teens on, on our Wednesday night prayer meeting when I was a youth pastor Every day, every time we meet, we would write something about God's character that we were thankful for. And we kept a list. And, and the rule was you couldn't repeat things from other weeks. It kind of was a brain exercise to how much do you know about God's character that you can be thankful for. But add things regularly this week that you are thankful for. Third challenge, pray for an opportunity for an open door to share the gospel. I want you to pray this on two levels. One, pray for us as a church that we would have opportunities. But I want you to pray for it personally. I would encourage you, as you go home today, take out a pen and paper and put down three names of three people that you know are not saved. And think of the example of George Mueller and commit yourself to praying for three people and ask that the Lord would work. I leave you with that challenge this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come into your presence today. Lord, we do need to be steadfast in our prayer. We need as a church to remember that the efforts need to be bathed in prayer. That we should be physically and even, even metaphorically on our knees in prayer. Coming before you in the wondrous throne of grace. We thank you.
that you are a most high and prayer-hearing God who delights in your children coming before you in prayer. That it reminds us of your majesty. It reminds us of our dependence upon you. You do not need us, but we need you. We bring our prayers before you and we ask that because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that you would hear them this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close this morning uh, with our last uh, worship song. Turned into wine, open the eyes and the blind.